God's blessings. Our fathers, we do come to you tonight, uh, this last day of the year, last service. Lord, as we look back and we think about your blessings of the past year, as well as, Lord, this, this, the trials, as well as the, um, the heartaches that we've had, we thank you, Lord, for how that you've watched us, that you've sustained us, how that you've met our needs. Lord, as we look forward to this coming year, we see many trials, and yet we know, Lord, by experience, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you'll comfort us, you'll watch over us, you'll go before us. And so, Lord, as we go into this coming year, we pray as Joshua was told to, to look to the captain of our salvation as we make our plans, that you're the one who fights our battles, that you're the one who has a plan that we must discover and follow. And so, Lord, we, we want your will. We want to know what you are doing, and we want to join in on your work. And so, Lord, we would never want to trust in our own flesh, in our own abilities. We realize it all depends on you. And so as we come to you tonight, Lord, as you're the foundation of the church, you're the head of the church, you're, you're the sustainer, you're everything, Lord, that, uh, that involves a church because you created it. And so, Lord, as you call people to yourself, as you've called us tonight to yourself, how we pray, Father, that, uh, that you will use us for the purpose of the church, of, of, uh, of maturing the saints, of growing in the faith, for the work of the ministry, in the ministry of reconciliation of others to you. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, many will be reconciled to you through this church. Lord, uh, we pray for the expanded ministry as uh, Jabez prayed. Lord, enlarge our coast. Help us to see, Lord, the, the, and kick out the boundaries where, of what we can do, the abilities of, by which to do it. We think, Lord, of the Internet and uh, <clears throat> being able to get on, Lord, and preach to many people. We think, Lord, of um, different ways of communicating to people here in, in this area. We pray that you'll help us to reach them with the gospel. Now, Lord, we realize that uh, you're the one. It's your power. We must go forth in your strength under your commands. We pray that you would sanctify us. Is there anything, Lord, in our lives that uh, would keep us in, from hind the hindrance or hinder us from serving you? Are there any weights, not necessarily sins, but things that we can get rid of to lighten up, to be able to run the race better for you? So, Lord, we pray that uh, your priorities will be our priority, priorities. Your ways will be our ways. Our desires will be your desires. And so, Lord, uh, as we would dedicate ourselves to you again for this coming year, <clears throat> we pray, Lord, for, for your insights and your blessings, for your victories. And, Lord, you tell us, but thanks be to you, thanks be to God, which giveth us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we want to be victorious. We plan, we want to be victorious 
in this coming year, victorious over sin. We, Lord, we pray that, uh, that you would give us victories over trials in our lives. But most of all, Lord, victories in the lives of others as you would turn them from darkness to light. And that we can see great victories in people's lives as they would come to know you. When we think of our missions program, Lord, and again, uh, how you would have us to change it. Uh, with missionaries now retiring, and uh, who would you have us to take on new? We think, Lord, of uh, <clears throat> people that we're praying for for years now. And Lord, we'd love for this to be the year that many of the souls that we've been praying for would come to know you as their personal Savior, that you would get them excited about the things of God. We pray, Lord, for a drawing, a, a pull, a, a conviction of others to, to be in the, under the sound of your gospel. And Lord, that we would preach it faithfully, that you would raise up workers within our midst, as you would give gifts to the church, gifted people. Lord, how we pray that uh, we can have a ministry that will, that can greatly bless Belvedere and the surrounding areas, and even, Lord, with what we're doing on, uh, on the Internet, Lord, around the world. We thank you for those people, uh, even on different continents, that are listening to us. But, oh, Father, how we pray that uh, you would uh, continue to sustain, that you would make us a blessing. Each one of us, make us a blessing to others. We think, Lord, of the burdens of our people. We've had much sickness over the past few weeks. We pray that you can raise up our people. We think, Lord, of uh, Linda and Nita. Uh, Lord, uh, we pray for them. Bonnie, uh, Dave and Gail. Uh, think of, Lord, uh, of Della. Think of um, Dave and Patrice. And Lord, uh, Dan and Carol. Just a lot of our people that we're praying for, seeking your will for their lives. We think, Lord, of... Uh, of Pam and Rob, and then Lord uh, Pam Henniger, we pray, Lord, that, that you can meet their needs physically, but oh, Lord, that uh, you can use the physical needs to draw them closer to you spiritually. We think of the loved ones that we're praying for for salvation, and uh, Lord, that you can deal in their hearts. Oh, we need to see, Lord, these children and grandchildren saved. We need to see, Lord, uh, our sons come to know you as our Savior and want to follow you. So, Lord, we pray and we realize that we're in a great battle for the souls of men and women. And, Lord, we realize that the devil is coming in like a flood. We realize that uh, there's all kinds of challenges out there today. We realize there's, when we ask that you would increase our number, we realize that you're increasing sinners. And so we'll have sinners just like us coming to church here, but give them victory over sin like you give us victory over sin. And that you can use this church mightily and expand its ministries and use it for your glory. Again, Lord, we pray for our private needs. Each one here has some real concerns, whether it's in finances or in the, in the challenges of the family or or social graces, or jobs, or whatever, Lord, we just pray that, uh, that you can lift the burdens of our heart. And Lord, that you can, that you can show us that uh, there are, and we, we hear, Lord, that you, and we know that you can do all things, above all that we ask or think. And with you, nothing is impossible. Well, Lord, we need to see 
in our own personal lives. Those things that uh, we've prayed for, but honestly, we many times we don't expect. Lord, increase our faith. Increase our hearts. Increase our expectations because of what you can do and what you will do. So, Lord, we pray your blessings upon us tonight. Be with our mayor and our governor, our president, and all the people in between, Lord, that, uh, that uh, you can raise up righteous people, people that at least will uh, have a God, uh, be fearful of you and want to judge righteously. And Lord, that you can heal our land. Whoa, how we need the healing of this country. The hatred, the strife, the, the sadness and the heartache and the loneliness that is, that is all a result of, Lord, of sin. How we pray that you can fill us and fill, Lord, fill people with the, the, your presence and the comfort that comes from knowing you. So be with us tonight, Lord. We pray your blessings upon us as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, in the closing message for the year, we're turning back to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. And it's interesting, and this is what we've got to be careful of, is whenever there's great victories, it's easy to get or to develop what they call hubris. And hubris is the idea, well, uh, I've done it before, or I'm having so many victories that I really don't have to plan properly, or my victories are so much and th- uh, that, uh, that I can get a little careless, even in the faith. I, there are several times that we've seen that in history, even uh, I think of World War II, uh, where the Japanese got, uh, they developed hubris, and they thought uh, with their aircraft carriers and everything, they were going to wipe out the uh, the United States and um, at the Battle of Midway, everything turned and uh, and was the most disastrous naval defeats in all of history with four aircraft carriers and many other ships and thousands of men that were killed and it, cha- it changed the whole scope of the war and they never won another major battle. I think of, um, uh, we could think of uh, the Germans in, uh, in uh, Moscow or in Russia and what they did there. and and. A lot of it, Napoleon back in uh, um, in the wars that he had in Europe, and over and over, and we think of different times people that uh, uh, rise high in finances, but they do it carelessly, and all of a sudden they fall. Uh, and so we see that uh, uh, this hubris is so easy uh, to, to attain. Once we start winning, then we have to be careful that we realize that we still depend on God who gives us the victory. Now, the Lord, back in chapter 5, said uh, to Joshua that I am um, the captain. I'm the captain of the Lord's host. You watch me. Follow me. And we'll see that uh, after the battle of Jericho, which was not a battle, it was something that God gave them for victory. I mean, they didn't do anything but uh, watch the walls fall down and then mop up after God had done his work. But now, notice what happens in chapter 7. That says in verse 1, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, uh, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah. And they took the accursed thing. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Wait a minute. One guy sinned, and yet it affected the whole area of Israel. Now, one of the things that Joshua as a leader could have done was had been in front of the Lord and said, Lord, thank you for the victory. And um, 
and let's uh, go through the checklist. Did we do everything right? Or did we, you know, have we done your will? But we don't see them doing that. We see that now Joshua takes over. We don't see him praying. We don't see him going before the Lord. He does this twice. He does this here, and then in chapter 9, he'll do it with the Gibeons. So he made two major mistakes that affected Israel for a long time. But we see that uh, now Joshua sent men into Jer- uh, to Jericho, or from Jericho to Ai. Ai was a city uh, back in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 11. Uh, Moses described the land of Israel, or of, uh, the promised land, as a, a land of valleys and hills. Well, uh, in our lives, there's a lot of valleys and hills, aren't there, in the conquest. There's the mountaintops and there's the deep valleys. And we see that um, AI was built on a hill. I know it's going to be easy. I mean, after you take care of the hill uh, there in Jericho, what's a little town that's hardly any bigger than its name? (laughs) I heard about a guy, he said, my town was so small that uh, they put a traffic light in it and they made a one-way street and everybody it was so small that uh, everybody went to work out of town and they couldn't get back in town because <laughs> just one-way streets so or whatever I mean, that's a pretty small town well ai was nothing compared to to jericho it might have had a few walls but you know nothing like jericho and so as joshua has done before he sent spies in he was a spy so he knew what to do this is something nothing new to him and so he reconnoiters he sends people in to check out the situation he draws up his battle plan but he leaves one thing out he leaves out the lord he says which is by beth haven the east side of bethel and, and, he, and he spoke to them saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to, Jer- to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up uh, to attack Ai. Uh, do not worry all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Oh my, after what we've done, we don't need but a couple of, you know, this is a one-horse town. It might have had three or four thousand, two or three thousand people at the most in it. And uh, even with that, maybe probably only about two or three hundred. But uh, they might have had a wall, but it was a picket fence compared to what we just saw at Jericho. So it's not going to take a whole lot of people to take this town. So he said about three thousand men went up to uh, from there from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck them down, about 36 men, and they chased them from before the gate uh, as far as uh, Shabarim and struck them down uh, on the descent. So they, as they were going down, they, the men of Ai came out and whipped them all the way down the mountain or down the hill. And he says, And therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. I mean, talking about overconfidence and then having all the, no- the confidence knocked out of you. But notice what Joshua does too. So then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, you have brought this people over the Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites. Now, what have we heard? How many times have we heard that before? Joshua is falling into the same trap that uh, Moses had over and over again. You just let us out here to, to kill us. You let us out here to starve us to death. 
Over and over again, Joshua had to, uh, that uh, Moses had to put up with that. And now because of one defeat, Joshua is doing the same thing. Well, you led us all the way across here, and now even the Amorites are going to kill us. Now, how many times do we have a victory and all of a sudden, when we suffer a little defeat, all of a sudden, Lord, you just don't love me anymore. Lord, uh, oh, just uh, how, can I, how can I have any victories after all these defeats? And all, and this little, I mean, what are you, if we can't beat AI, then who else can we beat? And so you can imagine how, and there, there again, you know, he didn't think about all the, the blessings that God had sent. He was in a pity party. He hadn't thought about uh, the great victories in the past. And um, of course, now AI, instead of looking like uh, a little one horse town, it looks like, you know, uh, Babylon, or a big, it looks like a huge area. And no, it wasn't. And so he, all of a sudden, you know, but notice he lost his confidence. He lost his confidence over one defeat. Now, we don't see him going back and saying, now, Lord, what did we do wrong? Lord, uh, you've given us this, you tell, told me that we're, you're going to conquer the land. And, but, uh, Lord, um, what happened? Let's go back through the steps. And many times when we fail, we fail, that's exactly what we need to do is back up and say, okay, Lord, you told me and you promised me the victory. Well, I've just had a double whammy. I don't know what's going on. What's go- what did I do wrong or what is going wrong? Uh, or did you put me in this position just to show me what you can do right? And so, Lord, I'm not going for- to forsake you. Because I know that you promised me that you won't forsake me. Remember what? Paul was good at that. I mean, everything that happened to him, he said, all these things happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel. And he was beaten on, he was shipwrecked and all that. And he said, and he, and he learned that uh, in that, that grace, God's grace was sufficient. Now, I wish everybody in the world could be like the Apostle Paul, but I'm sure that uh, even every, I'm sure that he had his... Um, his misgivings at time, but he refused to back up. He refused to look down and have a pity party. Well, Joshua, I imagine most of the time was like that, but notice how many, remember back in chapter one, how many times that God had to say, be strong and of good courage. And here he is, his courage is now lacking because his confidence has been pretty well shot. And so He's saying that basically he's going back and following the pattern of so many weak-willed people that died in the wilderness. And so as he goes, comes before the Lord, he says, and the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear and surround us. Oh, now all of a sudden we're out, and now he's very concerned. Now he had just gone through uh, all the, you know, the Passover and the circumcision, Passover and all that, that, and then they came into the land where they were extremely vulnerable, and yet God protected them. But now after one defeat, he's saying, now all the rest of these Amorites that surround us, they're going to kill us. And so he's not going forward anymore. He's developing a siege mentality. He's not looking for the victory. He's just kind of holding on to the end. And folks, we want to look, okay, Lord, what's the way forward? What are you, what are you wanting us to do, to do? But we notice now that, and notice another thing, God let him do that for a while. And notice where they went. They went to the right place, to the tabernacle, to the the presence of God. And God let them stay there for until evening. I mean, for a few hours. 
for maybe even a day. And so we see that they prayed and really sought the Lord. That's the one good thing they did do. And so we see, so the Lord said to Joshua, so now God's ready to speak. And he said, get up. There are things to do. Though you failed, the, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and the Lord directs him in his way. And though he fall, he will now be utterly cast down, for the Lord uh, upholdeth him with his hand. Uh, the book of Proverbs, verse, or excuse me, Psalm 37 says that. And so good men fail. Good women fail. We all are, the, flesh, the arm of flesh will fail you. And unfortunately, many times, uh, sometimes, which is easier, uh, whenever we fail others or others fail us. And so many times we see that, uh, the, but what do we do? Do we just stay down and give up? Or do we start saying, okay, Lord, now you promised me, and I've got the rest of my life to live. It might be five days, or it might be five years, or it might be 50 years. But Lord, you've promised me that, uh, that you will never leave me or forsake me. Get up. Let's get going. And so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie this, uh, this, uh, thus on your face? Israel has sinned. And so what we see that he went to the right place. He waited on the Lord. And now God is speaking and directing. And that's many times what we will see. Lord, was it because of my ignorance? Was it because of my lack of prayer? And oh, we can go through a whole list and have a pity party and just never do anything for God. But uh, Lord, speak to me. If there, whatever it is that is keeping back your blessings or has caused this, this uh, defeat in my life, then reveal it to me. And God did. And Israel has sinned. You say, wait a minute, one man has sinned and yet affects the whole nation. Well, Folks, uh, we don't, never underestimate the power of sin. God had said to them that, uh, that this, the place that they had, that the, the Jericho, was totally belonging to God. And everything that came from there would be for the temple and for the, for the uh, treasures of, uh, for the government, actually, the Levitical government of Israel. It was the first fruits. And nothing was to be taken from that city. And yet we see that, um, that there was sin. You know, how many times do we do something that affects others? Uh, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, Beware lest the root of bitterness spring up in you, and by it ye defile many. How many bitter people have defiled other, bitter, uh, other people and made other people bitter in a church? How many times has unforgiveness caused problems in a church? And so our attitudes affect others. Our deeds affect others. It affects our children. Again, I think of people that have been running into the service. It's interesting how things kind of run in cycles or circles. But I've run into several people now that have spent their years outside the will of God. And they've let their kids grow up not knowing God 
and it right and now their kids are almost grown or are grown and now they're having grandkids and they're saying i never raised my kid and i and, and knowing the lord and so you know it, it frightens them and it should but uh, you know, how many times do we realize? Oh, I'm just gonna. I don't want to live for the Lord. I had to go, and I, boy, I had to go to church when I was a kid, and I'm not going to force my kids to go. Now your kids don't go, and you don't either. And over and over again, we see those type of things. Our decisions affect others, and it will affect generations of others. How I praise the Lord for those who say, "Well, uh, you know, I'm going to just pick up where I am, and I'm going to see what I can do for the Lord." And so we see that, um, so the Lord said to Joshua, uh, get up, and because you've got sin in the camp, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my, my covenant, uh, which I commanded them, for they have taken some of the accursed things. Now they, we wonder if there were a lot of other people that knew that uh, Achan took this and just kind of skipped over it. We know that his family probably did. And so many times in a church, uh, I think of uh, evangelists have told me, and I don't want to talk about any of my personal experiences because of people that are personal to me, but they, they'll say that, you know, I'll go into a church and I'll be preaching and you can just feel the coldness in the church. You can feel something is not right. And as you preach through the week, and many times, you just preach and you feel like you're a failure. And then other times, God will start working in a heart. And you will realize there's sin in the church. There's something that's going on that a lot of other people know about, but nobody's doing anything about it. There's a dishonesty or bitterness or some feud that's going on or, unfortunately, immorality or something else. And those things will affect the spirit of a church. And as a result, uh, revival can't come. And growth can't happen because a lot of, there's a network of people that know something is wrong, but no one is willing to confess and get things right. And this is what basically I think was happening. They, oh, oh, Aiken, he's from a prominent tribe, a prominent family. And, uh, you know, so he did it. And if he did it, uh, that means that, you know, who knows what else we can do. Because God really doesn't mean all this. And of course he did. And so we see that he says, and some, uh, they've taken accursed things and have stolen and deceived and they have put it among their own stuff. Therefore, in verse 12, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have been doomed to, they have become doomed to destruction. Uh, neither will I be with anyone unless you destroy the accursed thing among you. So that's, we see that as Isaiah said to the nation of Israel in chapter 59, verse 2 of Isaiah, he says, uh, your iniquities have separated you from me, from your God. And so our iniquities, our wicked thinking will keep us back from the blessings of God in our lives. And the, and we see that this is what's happened to the whole city, or to the whole nation. And he says, now therefore, verse 12, or verse 13, go sanctify yourselves. 
Get things right. Set yourself apart. Rededicate your life. Be willing, even tonight, as we look into the, the 2024, to, Lord, I want to set, if there's anything that would keep me back from serving you, if there's anything in my life that would keep me back from dedicating and from you blessing my life, then I want to be set apart. I want to get rid of that in my life and to, in order to serve you. So, Lord, show me the way. Show me what I need to do. Now, don't go around with a magnifying glass feeling all guilty all the time. If God doesn't re reveal something to you, then praise the Lord. But uh, as we would spend time with him, we all realize we're sinners. And there's always something to correct. But at the same time, sometimes God is just saying, okay, all I'm asking for you to do is ask for my, for my direction. And you haven't been doing that. And so don't, you know, it's not always sin. And so there's so many, so many times, oh, then I can't, well, I'll have people, oh, I just feel, you know, like God's not using me. Then why isn't he using me? Uh, is there sin in my life? I said, have you confessed? Have you gone before the Lord and said, what the things you know about? First John 1, 9, if I, we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. So if we've confessed those things, if we are willing to get those things settled, not only with God, but with others, and if we're willing to seek his forgiveness and we deal with the things we know about, don't worry about the things you don't know about until God reveals them. But be willing, you know, as a, as a person, realizing that if, we, if, I'm faithful, if I'm honest with God right now and ask his forgiveness of sin that I know, then I don't need to spend the rest of the night just saying, Lord, Lord, uh, now is there anything else? But I will pray, Lord, if there is anything else, I'm ready to deal with the things that you reveal to me. Does that make sense? I hope it does. So don't get on this pity party or this long uh, guilt trip where you just always, there's some, you know, I, my car tore up this week, so I must be guilty of something. Uh, I kidded uh, some of my friends on Facebook. Back a few years ago, we had snow, you know, about up to our hips. And uh, I was out there digging it out and everything. And somebody, I think my wife, somebody took a picture of me and I put it on Facebook. And I said to all my friends in Florida, what did I do wrong to make me to live up here in the Arctic, you know, or whatever, something like that. And uh, people had all kinds of things, you know, they, they shot back at me. Oh, yeah, we know, you know, this kind of stuff. Well, that was a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, I don't, I haven't done anything that, I mean, that snowstorm wasn't because of my sin. You have snowstorm, we have snowstorms all the time around here. But, uh, you know, I, oh, I, this, uh, this problem was here because of my... No, don't get into that. No, you just take care of what God tells you to do, and he will take care of the rest. And so we see that, uh, that these people, though, there was guilt, and God revealed it to them, and now they're going to... And notice the good thing that Joshua did. He said, okay, we will make it right. And so the Lord told him, he said, get up. Notice again, they tell, this is what he tells, Joshua now tells the people, get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for today, because the Lord says, um, thus says the Lord God of Israel, uh, there is a cursed thing in our, your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from you. So let's make sure that we get our hearts right so that God can work through us. And in the morning... You shall be brought uh, according to your tribes. 
And uh, this is something we can't do today. I wish, it would be, I wish we could do this as far as a church. Okay, we got a problem. Let's all single it down to the person. Uh, we can't do that with lots and so forth and the way that God worked in the Old Testament. But uh, he says, and thou shalt be the tribe which the Lord shall come according to their families. And no, he breaks it down. He says, we're going to go through the winnowing process. And we see that uh, basically um, they're going to find out where the, the accursed thing is and uh, has done disgraceful thing to Israel. So verse 16, so Joshua rose up in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. The tribe of Judah was singled out and was taken. He brought the clan of, of Judah and he took the family of the Zerahites and brought the family of the Zerahites man by man and Zebdi was taken. So now we're getting down to the family. And then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, the son of Zerah. Notice how could all the just right on up the, the chain there. The son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. And so we see that uh, um, God singled out the problem. And many times, as I said, talk about the missionary or the, uh, the evangelist, they'll say, you know, basically the people know what the problem is or the Holy Spirit will reveal it or someone will start confessing their sin. God will start rooting that out. And then all of a sudden the, the uh, cloud bursts. I mean, that's when God really starts dealing with everyone. But here we see that, um, in, uh, that uh, there's a one person that had to be dealt with. And so the Lord rose up early, uh, Joshua rose up in the morning, and he, he did this, I'm sorry, verse 19. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, uh, give glory to the Lord God. That's uh, kind, of a, a, uh, kind of an introduction, let's all glorify God, and make confession to him, and tell me now what you have done, do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed I have sinned. You know, there's seven different people in the Bible that said that. Uh, you go back uh, to Balaam and Judas and David. I didn't, uh, I should have written them all down, but there's seven different people. That's a good study if you want to. Seven people in the Bible that said, I have sinned. And um, it's kind of, so he says, I have sinned. And of course, fourth one would be uh, Achan. And he said, and this is what I've done. And when I saw among the spoils, now that was his big problem. Spoils? They weren't spoils. Spoils are what armies look for. I mean, as you go through uh, battle, and that's one way that many of the ancient armies got paid was by finding things and looting the towns or whatever else and uh, keeping a lot of things for themselves. But these weren't spoils. God said, no, now later on you might be able to take the spoils, but this is mine. So you can't take what's mine. And so the, this was the first fruits of their victory. Jericho, uh, Jericho was. And so he was taking something that wasn't his. And so his whole attitude about, uh, about God's things was, were, was wrong. And so he said, I looked at the spoils and I saw a beautiful Babylonian garment. Must have been really ritzy. Must have been something nice. We know in the Old Testament, many times uh, we'll see uh, Samson and others. Uh, garments must have cost a lot back then because one of the ways that Samson uh, 
reaped his spoils. It was buying, I think it was 20 uh, garments from the Philistines or whatever. And so uh, if you were able to get other people's clothes back then, it's like taking one of those uh, coats or whatever. Uh, I won't ask you how much you paid for your coat this, uh, this past week or whatever. Is that a new coat or whatever? I don't know. But otherwise, and I don't even want to, uh, to get you, embarrass you. But uh, uh, the one thing I hate about new coats is I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. How about you? I mean, uh, about if you buy a $90 coat or a $180 coat, I'm always worried about somebody, you know, or walking up against a, a building and snagging it or whatever else. I mean, you, but... Uh, but then again, again, the last thing you want to do is somebody else to, you, you, the last thing I want to see is somebody else walking around with it the next day, right? And because, you know, that's a lot of, I mean, you know, it's a paycheck or whatever to buy that coat. Well, for, that was something very special back then, especially Babylonian garments and garments that were of greater fiber. They were just the rich people couldn't own or the poor people couldn't own or the average person couldn't. And so this was a very royal type of garment that he took. He says, a beautiful uh, Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold uh, weighing 50 shekels. So he's starting to talk about a few tens of thousands of dollars that he's got, that he's building up. And so notice, first of all, he saw that. He had the wrong attitude toward it. He didn't close his mind off and say, this is God's. And that's one thing I, you know, I caution, you know, what's not yours, don't take. And so, as a man, I tell men, there's, you know, we don't invade other people's privacy. And especially women. I mean, there's, you know, we just don't, I mean, when they close the door, it's over. Or whatever, we don't, uh, whenever you start thinking inappropriately of another woman, you're talking about another man's wife or his daughter. I mean, you got to realize. And, or that you're talking you know, about somebody else that God is dealing with. In the same way, uh, in your life, there are certain places where uh, if I go to your house, uh, I don't even think about the spoils. There are certain people I don't want in my house because you have to keep your eye on them, right? Because they look at my house as spoils. Well, if everything is God's, then I don't, I don't own it until God gives it to me. And so that's the way we want to look at things in life is uh, <clears throat> so I don't want to so notice but he he looked at it and he didn't see it through God's eyes he saw it through his own desires and as a result of that notice he saw it and here we have the what we call the Christian LSD lust sin death you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> the Bible tells us that lust when it is conceived bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death and James chapter 1. But notice, first, first of all then, he said, when I saw the spoils of the beautiful Babylonian garment and, the, and all the rest, I saw it and I coveted it. That's uh, similar to or synonym, for he lusted after it. He wanted it. The lust of the eyes took over. And I took them. There's the sin. And Therefore, I hid them. And that's what we usually do when we think we're hiding sin in the earth, in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Now, there's not a whole lot I can hide from my wife. In a big house, we have three bedrooms, upstairs and downstairs. Uh, she doesn't go upstairs much, but she can hear about everything I'm doing up there. 
And uh, there's not a whole lot. Uh, and one thing we found out is we can't hide food from one another. I've told you about the uh, oils she was hiding from me because she didn't want me to, my blood sugar to, uh, to jack up. And yet uh, she hit them in the oven and I turned on the oven and boy, that stunk for a while, baked Oreos. But uh, uh, we can't hide, but, uh, but as eagle eye as my wife is, she not, she's not nearly as good as God. And as a result of that, we know that uh, it grieves him when we try to hide things from him. And uh, with me, whenever I know my wife is trying to hide something from me, my old evil spirit says, I'm going to find it just because it's the challenge, you know, or whatever else. But uh, God doesn't have to, he's not curious. He knows what's going on. But we think sometimes that we can hide things from God. Like um, William Booth, who was the... Uh, the brother of John Wilkes Booth. They were a very talented uh, Shakespearean actor, actor uh, troupe of uh, people that went to theater to theater. And unfortunately, old John Wilkes uh, <coughs> uh, got with the wrong crowd and killed Abraham Lincoln. But his brother had to live that down the rest of his life as far as uh, what his brother had done to assassinating Lincoln. But... Uh, there was a preacher that went to him one time. He said, you know, my denomination, they don't allow us to go to plays. So can you sneak, sneak me in the back door because I would love to see you act. And old William Booth was very smart. He said, you know, um, I can hide you from people, but I can't hide you from God. And the, the preacher should have known that. Uh, I can hide you from people, but I can't hide you from God. And so the Lord knew. And as a result of that, we see it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they went to the tent, and there it all was. Now, that tells me, if I can't hide anything in a big house with, from my wife, do you think that I, that I could hide all these things in a tent away from my wife? She would be wondering, what in the world am I doing digging? You're going to have to dig pretty deep to put all this stuff down. Uh, why are you pull, pulling up the carpet, dear? Uh, why are you why are you got that shovel? And what's that over there in the little uh, Macy's bag you got? Or is that a Macy's bag? Oh, don't, did you have something special for me? Or whatever else. And I wonder if he had the light. Whatever it was, she was she knew what was going on. And probably the rest of the family, and probably a lot of other people did too. And so we see that... Uh, so Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent, was the silver under it. And they took it from the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver of the garment, the wedge of gold, the sons and daughters. Notice he took the whole family. And this was a microcosm of what God had said that you're supposed to do to uh, an idolatrous town, a town that was like Sodom and Gomorrah or like their own like Gibeon, was you were to, to go in and wipe that town out, but then don't, don't be tempted yourself by taking any of the spoils. You just you wipe it all out and whatever's left is you give to the Lord, but it's not booty. It's not something that you can take um, because there are a lot of people that all of a sudden... I, I think if we condemn this town that we can make a lot of money. No, uh, if you do that, then it was all for the Lord. But we see that uh, they took all of everything that he had. 
and brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, you have troubled us. The word uh, Achan, there's a debate. Did uh, uh, Achan mean trouble before or after this incident? It's kind of like uh, Benedict Arnold or Judas or the Norwegians know about a traitor by the name of Quisling. Well, if you are a Quisling today in Norway, then you're a traitor. And so did his name mean traitor before or after? And here we have uh, Aiken, who is, if, he, if, it was, if it wasn't then, it was, it was now, that uh, his name means trouble. And the Lord uh, will deliver, uh, trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And then they raised up over him a great heap of stones. How? Here we have another mo- monument, another heap of stones, a heap of stones of victory and a heap of stones of warning of what God can do to people who either follow him or reject him. And so still to this day, so it tells us again that uh, this book was written relatively soon after the time of Joshua, or maybe even toward the end of his life. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, and therefore the name of the place was called the Valley of Achor. Achor and Achan both mean struggle uh, to this day. Now, we see then that the, the sin is taken care of, but now we see that God tells Joshua, God says in verse chapter 8, so the, now the Lord says to Joshua, be not afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all this people. Now, Joshua, listen to me. You didn't listen to me in chapter 7, so listen to me in chapter 8. And we'll get back on the victory trail, and you'll get back on track to do what I've told you to do. And that's basically what God does in our lives. When we fall flat on our face, God says, I'll still uphold you with it, but get up and find out to don't just sit around sulking. But uh, there's always something that God is wanting to train us or to teach us to do. Get up and let's get busy again. Now, that doesn't mean we ignore our sins. I'm just going to charge on in front of God because after all, he's called me. No, uh, many, a pre- many a, you'll hear about, uh, unfortunately, people that are very prominent in the things of God. And they will have committed some sin that brings great scandal. But then the next week, they want to be right back in serving the Lord. Well, uh, uh, sometimes it takes a while, if, if, if ever. There are certain sins that are going to plague you the rest of your life. David, a lot of people say, well, why didn't God kill David? I think I would have rather died as a father than to have gone through what David did after he sinned with Bathsheba. I think to watch my kids do what they did to one another this sword shall not depart out of your mouth or out of your house. I'm sorry. I, would, I think I would, you know, if my kids would ever start doing that, Lord, just kill me. Don't ever let me see it do it. I think that was, a, that was a fate worse than death for a man after God's own heart. And so God has ways of taking care of, of people. Capital punishment sometimes is a blessing compared to what God can do and make it a a very miserable life the rest of your life. Did God still use David? Yes. Did David still, uh, was he still 
greatly blessed by God? Yes, but all oh, the price he paid for that sin. And so folks, uh, you know, but the one thing is, is Lord, even if I have to bear the marks of what I've done in the past, Lord, can you turn that into blessing? Can you use me? I've told to think about, uh, again, Simeon and Levi. Levi must have gotten right with God because even though he was cursed, cursed be Simeon and Levi in their anger. And how many times do we see that God used Levi, or the tribe of Levi, and yet Simeon was always on the wrong side. I wonder if Levi got right with God, and even though his family did not, or his descendants did not inherit the land, they inherited, they inherited the presence of God. And you have Moses and Aaron and Elijah and Elisha and John the Baptist and, and, uh, and Isaiah and others that came from the tribe of Levi. And God greatly blessed them. So God, can God turn those heartaches and those horrible sins into a blessing if we follow him? And so Levi would never be what he was want, what he could have been, or like the other tribes. But God still used him. And Joshua, get up. And he got going. And as a result, victory was going to come because he came back into the will of God. And he started listening to God again rather than the spies or his own ingenuity. Oh, that God would use us for his glory that he would give us the victory in 2024 as we ask him for his leadership. We ask him, Lord, what, what do you want us to do? And Lord, is there anything in my life, is there anything in, in our lives that would keep us back from your full blessings upon us? Oh, that God can use us mightily. Father, we thank you tonight that we can call you Father because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, your son. We thank you that uh, we're in your presence even tonight because you promised those who know you that you would never, ever, ever leave us or forsake us. And Lord, even though we do the wrong and so many times we fall flat on our face, tempted, tried, and sometimes failing, Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you have patience with us, and you cleanse us, and you dust us off, and you use us again. Oh, Father, we pray for that usefulness. There's going to be a lot of hills and valleys in this coming year, but may you find your servants to be consistent, whether it's in the good times or the bad, that we want your will, we want your victory, we want your presence we want the, your blessings upon us and upon our families and upon those around us. Oh, Lord, bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.